0: First Peter, we've we've been walking through it, and 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 essentially, it's a letter written to these churches scattered all throughout the known world, and they're just starting to experience as uh, the gospels being presented, and and people are responded, and these responding, and these churches are being formed. They're 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 being caught in the middle of of what does it look like to follow Jesus, but still to to live in culture, right? I'm still here. I'm I'm. I'm I'm still in this marriage, I'm, I'm, I'm still at this job, I'm still under that leadership. Um, what what does that look like? And so Peter has written this incredible letter to help uh, Jesus followers navigate through the the trials and the struggles that they're going to face. Now, uh, this topic of suffering, just as a whole, I would say it's, it's one of the top, I don't know if I had a, like a top five list of, of things that people ask me about, I would say suffering's right up there. Uh, when you think of of people, regardless of where they're at with Jesus, you know, when you, when it comes to Jesus followers, uh, and I've shared this before, it, it still is always the case that we're surprised when it happens to us, aren't we? And we're caught in this, like, man, how do how do I respond uh, to this? What does God's word uh, say? And and I'm just looking for something, for for anything. Um, and and we have a, a really difficult time going, why God? Why? Why now? or if it's something that that hasn't gone away, why? what what do I have to learn, God? why uh, can't, can't this just leave already? I mean, you're you're good, you're perfect. I believe in you. Why? And then there's people that that, that are more skeptical, right? Yeah maybe in this room and and, and they're like, you know, Um, I, I understand why people can believe, but I also I don't understand how you can preach about a perfect and loving and holy and sovereign God. And yet, how do I reconcile that with all of the pain and suffering I see locally around our world? And it's overwhelming, isn't it? And so we all find ourselves in different places, but we feel passionately, whether it's based upon experience or just what we've heard. We feel very strongly about this topic of suffering, and we're curious: what does God's word say about it? And I know, as we unpack this, that that re, that some of you are coming in here, and my voice is one of many competing voices for you. Uh, whether you've heard another pastor say something, or a podcast, or something like that. Uh, when it comes to suffering, this is a, a huge topic and there's a lot of thoughts. And, and, and so you may come in here and you're wounded from what someone said God was going to do uh, or, or a firm belief that, that if I just do this, God will do that. If I just love, love him more than I already love him, then he's going to heal me of this, heal my marriage, heal my relationship with my kids, heal me physically, give me that job. If I just do that. Right. If, and, and, and so there's that message, that narrative that's out there. And some of us are wounded because we bought into that and it hasn't paid off. So what do we do with this? I'm glad you asked. In first Peter, chapter five, let's look at verses five through seven. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Okay, some of these verses are just huge for us this morning. And as Peter has been talking to, remember last week, if you were here, he was talking to the church leaders, and, and, and essentially he said, listen, suffering's going to start in the house of God. There's gonna be persecution in the house of God. And so last week we looked at how he challenges specifically the elders, those um, chosen by God to lead these local churches. And, and, and he essentially creates this list of uh, requirements uh, that these leaders are to uh, model and live with with their lives and how they lead. And and so we walked through that last week. And, and now Peter is going to, uh, once again, use this term, likewise. Uh, and, and it's still he's in that same subject, but now he's turning to a different people group. And essentially he's saying, okay, congregation now. I've challenged the leaders. They need to get their stuff right. They need to be leading from the right place for this opposition that's going to happen that some of you are already experienced. But then he says, likewise, you, in response to their leadership, are called to be submissive to that leadership. And, and who he targets here uh, is interesting. He targets the young men. Now, we don't know, he doesn't say why he specifically is targeting the young men in these churches. So I'm just assuming it's because these young men had the same characteristics that I did when I was in my middle 20s, okay? Now, if you're in your middle 20s, we love you. We're glad you're here. This is awesome. But I can tell you from experience, man, in my middle 20s, I thought I've arrived, right? I mean, I, I, I remember I was like, man, whew, theologically, I am dialed in. I know all the ways of God, and you need to listen to what I have to say. And, 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 and I just remember I was so headstrong. I was so uh, confident, right, in, in, in what I know and who I am. And I was, I was just so headstrong. Uh, in fact, I pray for people that I used to give advice to in my middle 20s. I pray because uh, literally there were, there were people that, and I was giving them like advice on how they were parenting. And now I'm like, oh, no, no. Um, I mean, I was like telling people in their marriages, you just need to do that and it'll fix it. I had no idea. And so I'm just assuming that these young men needed to be told, listen, it's great that you know all that you know, but willingly place yourself under the leadership of that local elder team at that church. Okay. And you guys, we we see that that's a call for everybody that's a part of a local uh, church. In fact, I use the verse, and I'll I'll share it again, in Hebrews 13, 17, um, I talked last week how uh, elders are going to give an account for how they led, and we see in that same verse it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you And so we are to place ourselves, if we are in a local church, under those in that biblical eldership uh, role. We're to place ourselves under that uh, leadership. And then after he's addressed these young men specifically, he, he turns to everybody, right? And so now everybody in the room, as this letter is being read in these local churches, everybody in the room is now like listening. And he says, all of you need to do what? All of you need to clothe yourselves in humility. All of you. In relation to each other, you need to clothe yourselves. And, and, and this term, to clothe, it literally means to tie something. Uh, they used to have a work apron that servants would wear, and it's literally like that imagery of, of you tie that. You you get up, and you put that on, and you carry that humility throughout your day. And you guys, as Peter's writing these words, there's no way he's not thinking in his mind about the incident in, in that upper room when Jesus took a towel and tied it around his waist and started doing what? Washing all of their feet. We see humility described throughout Scripture. In Philippians chapter 2, we see humility uh, being talked about. And I'll read verses 3 through 8. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, It's what Jesus modeled. It's it's how he lived. In everything that Jesus did, he demonstrated a humility that hadn't been seen. Okay, from from getting on the ground to to washing his disciples' feet to to even just being born as a human. Okay, Like, like some of you are like, oh, that's great that Jesus was able to experience that. No. He humbled himself just by coming here and, and, and then goes through all of that with what in mind, with, with who in mind, with you and me, for us. So, so everything he was doing, it, it wasn't about his comfort. It wasn't about how this impacts me. It was all about other people, giving other people, you and I, an opportunity to Have a relationship with a perfect and holy God. And so Jesus comes and he humbles himself in every way. And, and, and you guys, I just think this term humility, we say it a lot, but we miss it a lot, don't we? And and I and I think we misrepresent it, but I also think we don't fully understand because I think we judge humility oftentimes by, oh, they just don't think a lot of themselves, they're very humble. Right? Like, like if, if I walk off stage. And I, and, I, and I leave and I'm like oh that sermon was just awful I'm so ill-equipped to deliver that oh man I shouldn't be a pastor anymore guys that's not humility and oftentimes we look at humility as like talking down to ourselves right or belittling ourselves thinking poorly of ourselves and guys that's that's not Humility. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking about ourselves less. Okay, so so it means that the priority of my heart and my mind, especially when I come into a space like this, is not about how do all of these things affect me. It's about how in the world can God use me to impact and to love other people here. So we have to ask, like, what's dominating my, my mind and my heart? And, and, and is, it, is it me? Is it, When I come into a space like this, is, is everything about what I want, right? Because I'll tell you right now, that's how I'm programmed, right? I'm programmed in my mind to literally ask the question, how does this impact me? And if I'm, if I'm mad about a song that was sung, guess what most of the time I'm thinking about? Well, I didn't like that very much. Well... I'm thinking about how it impacts me. Uh, when, when, when I think about anything that happens, and guys, oh, unfortunately, because of my role, I'm very critical, right? Any light that twinkles out of place, I'm like, why is it doing that? And I'm thinking, how does that impact me? Right? I'll serve, but how is that going to impact me? I'll pray for you, how is that going to impact me? he says, no, that's not, that's not humility. Humility is, is where you're no longer the center of your attention, of your affection. It's your mind and your heart is concerned with the other people, the other people in the room, the other people that are your neighbors, the other people that you, that you work with. It's when you're thinking about them and how God can use you in their lives. That's the humility that he's talking about. And then Peter defends this point by by literally quoting for us Proverbs 3, uh, 34, um, where where he literally says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so, so he quotes it, James 4, 6, they quote that. You guys, when you see something from the Old Testament, especially the book of Proverbs, quoted multiple times, pay attention, it's important. And so, so, so what we see here is um, is God not, God not saying, hey, I don't like pride. Pride's not a very good thing. It bothers me. What does he say? No, God hates pride in Proverbs. God hates it. Why, why does he hate it? Uh, and he's warning us. He's like, literally, I have seen this destroy so many lives. From, from literally his, his main angel, Lucifer, who becomes who? Satan, right? Pride. I want to be God. I want to be like God. We have Adam and Eve. It's like everything is cush. You have it made. Everything is right, and you are literally in communion with God. Everything is perfect. And yet, what the lie from the devil to Eve, you can be like God if you will, taste that. And so in that moment of pride, this thought that I could be like God, she eats the fruit. See, you guys, pride, by its nature, it sets me against God. It puts me against him. Because now... His glory isn't his glory. I'm in competition with God for his glory. Okay, so so pride says, I want some of that glory. Pride says, we can share in the glory, right? Like, like, like that's awesome, God. Let's conquer the hill, and I want to do great things for you, but I also want to be acknowledged. Or God, I want to have people look at me a certain uh, way. And so uh, pride is... Honestly, it makes me almost an enemy of God. I'm in competition with God. I want some of his glory, where humility is me placing myself under God. Pride says we're in competition. Humility says, I am placed, I am willingly placing myself under your leadership. And he says, What about pride? I oppose the proud. Okay, so, so it's not just, once again, pride bothers me, it upsets me. Do you understand what he's saying here? If you are going to live in this state of pride, he says, I'm actually against you. Are we hearing that this morning? This, is, this isn't like the, oh. No, he, sa- he says, if you're going to operate in pride, I'm not just going to uh, discard you. No, he says, I'm in opposition to you right now. But he says what? I'm going to bless and give grace to the humble. And that's why Peter says, listen up, you guys. Listen up. It's coming. Persecution. If it hasn't already hit, it's coming. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves in submission under, what does he uh, say? Under the, the mighty hand of God, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Right? So, so literally, and, and when he says under the mighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God, that, that's describing God's sovereign power uh, at work. And he says, willingly place yourself under his sovereign power, under his sovereign will for your life. And he says, if you can do that, if you will be faithful, if you will maintain that posture under his leadership and continue to deny the how does this affect me? What does this make me feel like? And if you can keep Doing that well, what does he say? At the proper time, God will exalt you. Guys, as they're dealing with um, whether it's already happening, the persecution, the suffering, the testing, or whether it's coming, it's that assurance that was going to encourage them to persevere. It's that reality. But the key for us to remember this morning is... That phrase, proper time, proper time it says at the proper time. So in other words, the timing of him exalting us out of that suffering, that trial, that persecution, he says it is going to be at his perfect time. And, and, and guys, this is what's tough for us. We look at Jesus's life and and, and before Jesus went back to the father, what was there? In, incredible suffering? There was a cross. Right before that moment. When you look at uh, others uh, throughout scripture, I mean, like look, Moses, okay? Moses in the Old Testament, he had to wait, okay? He had to wait 40 years before he could even go back to Egypt to rescue his people from slavery. Now, we, we just ignore that when we read that story. We're like, oh, 40 years, and we keep reading because we're like, okay, what's next, right? But just, just for a second, 40 years, 40 years. Guys, 40 days to me sounds like an eternity, right? And, and when we're in suffering, when we're in persecution, when we're in a trial, a testing in our life, we are counting down the days, we're putting God to task, and, and guess what we're, we're like slightly ignoring? 40 years, Right? 40 40 years where where Moses has to wait just for that, for God's proper time. He didn't just leave Egypt and a burning bush appear, and then all of a sudden he was back. No, that's how the kid's storybook reads. No, 40 years. We see Joseph, who, listen, Joseph just, oh my goodness, trial after trial after trial after trial. And we see that that for him, it was uh, around 13 years. Like 13. 10 years. It's really tough when it's been 2 weeks, a month, 6 months, a year, 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. And I think what adds to the difficulty too when we're in a trial is we get these glimmers of hope, don't we, right? Oh, man, I got, okay, I got the job, so everything's gonna change. This is gonna restore my marriage. Oh, this is gonna reestablish my relationship with my kids. The doctor said this, so they figured it out now, right? And so we leave, and we're like, everything's gonna change, and we're celebrating, and all of a sudden, what? Didn't work out. And so here we are now we're in a deeper, a darker, more isolated space. And we just we're, we're over it. We're done. And you guys, we have to cling to these words and we have to stop putting God on this timetable because our timetables are so off. And, 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 and I know that doesn't just give you this comfort, this warm, fuzzy feeling, but I, I owe it to be honest uh, with you. Guys, we just don't know. We don't know. We know that he's at work. And in fact, we're going to look at those verses in uh, a minute, but, but it's tough because we want to assume we're ready. Don't we? Right? Like, like, like for some of you, and, and maybe you're like, man, my season of suffering is just being single. And God, I've learned everything there is to be, to know, to be about single. And so God, I'm good. So let's go. Right? Like, like God, I've, I've learned to be without, right? Like I lost my job. I lost that, lost that situation. So God, I finally learned. Are you hearing me? Like, yeah, when he read about humble God, look how humble I am. Don't do that. <laughs> right? But that's what, that, that's the reality. That's what goes on in our hearts, in our minds. And, and, and it's so tough. And I'm not sitting here saying it's easy to guard against that. I think we all, at different points in time, will struggle in a trial and, and, and have to work through it. And we've got to hold ourselves to these verses, whether it is, whether it's just a week, or whether it's 15, 20, or you're a Moses, and it's 40, right? We have to be able to cling to these words. And, and he says, God will exalt believers out of their trials, out of their suffering at his determined time. And and so as we place ourselves under his care, not not only Do we have the promise that at the proper time he's going to do his thing? But we also, during that season, we have this privilege of handing him whatever is mentally, emotionally weighing us down. In fact, David, uh, in Psalm 55, uh, 22, David says this. He says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. When David writes those words, he has just been backstabbed by one of his closest friends, one of his greatest advisors, who behind his back uh, has turned against him and declared loyalty to his son who was trying to take over the kingdom. And David is just emotionally distraught. He's a wreck. He's hurt in so many ways. And he writes those words, cast your burdens on the Lord. And we see Peter here, draw back from that well uh, of, 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 of just knowledge, uh, of, of, of understanding, and says to us, cast your anxieties on him. And this word anxiety there, what it originally means is literally, it was described as the state of being pulled apart. And any of you that have walked through that mentally, emotionally, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like this state of just being ripped apart mentally in your mind. And so he tells believers, he says, listen, that worry that is just absolutely taking over your life and your heart, cast it on to me like a net, throw it on to me. That nervousness that was just a little, thing in your stomach that now has overtaken your life. Cast that on me. The uneasiness that you're that you're feeling towards everything, to where you're to where you're you're paralyzed and and, and now there's panic attacks, all these things going on. And, he, and he's he's inviting us to cast that on to him. He says, listen, there's there's moments that, that you're gonna be faced with something and you may know it's coming and it is going to bring out all these things all these fears, all these worries, uh, and and, you've got to cast that to me. And and, and he's also warning them: there's going to be things where you're not going to know how it's going to turn out, right? Like like he's literally preparing them for your your spouse may leave you, your kids may turn you into authorities, you may lose your job, you may be killed for your faith, and so you're going to have to guard against this thought of what if, right? And that's for a lot of us. It's not so much what we know, it's what we don't know that has uh, us going crazy, right? We, we don't know what the outcome's gonna be, and we feel directionless, and then all of a sudden we start painting the narrative of, like, worst-case scenario, and now our minds, our hearts, everything is hijacked. And he says, no, you can cast that on Jesus Christ because of his love, his faithfulness, his power, and his wisdom. And so cast it all. And and guys, this is a daily posture that we need to have in our relationship with God. It's got to be daily. And I would say even more so when it's something that you think, oh, I got this. And maybe maybe you have that struggle, right? Like, Like, no, God, thanks. I know you're there, fist bump, but I got this. I know how you've equipped me. I can handle this. They couldn't handle it, but I can handle it. Guys, that is a tool of the enemy to get you to think, oh, I've got this. I can handle this. I can walk through this. And he says, no, even in the things that you think you've got, hand them over to me. And here's what I love about this, guys. And, and we need to hear this today because I just feel like there's a different narrative I'm, I'm hearing about. Why does he invite us to dump these things on him? What does it say? You're like, I don't know, it's so hot in here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is the suffering today. Uh, Why does he invite us to dump these things onto him? He says, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. In other words, when, when I'm in this state of just worry, I'm, I'm paranoid, I'm struggling, uh, my faith is shaken, and all of this. Uh, and, and, and I know in that moment, my temptation is, no, you, uh, you want me to figure it out? No, I can't give that to you because you're going like, to be mad at me and, and all of this stuff. And, and it's so different, right? Like We actually, um, in a weird way, we put ourselves in the situation going, I don't like it when people just dump on me. Right, like, um, you know, like like some of you 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 know, you sat there and and you've had someone and 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 they've just like dumped on you for like an hour straight, and you're like, and they're like, thank you so much for listening and, and giving me advice, and you're like, what just happened, and I can't get that time back, right like like we're we, we don't I don't think, I don't think any of you are like, man, you seem like you have a lot of problems. Why don't you just dump on me? Just come on, you know? And if you have a friend that's like that, God bless them. You better cling to that friend. You know, I have a friend like that. And he literally be like, all right, Steve, let's go. And I'm like, oh. you know, we need that. And you guys, what's so beautiful about God is he doesn't say, yeah, you oh, why I can't believe you're struggling with that. You shouldn't be struggling with that. You should be better than that. That shouldn't be an issue anymore. I can't believe you're struggling. You're in that same place again. No, he says, cast it on me. Bring it. Dump it on me. Take it to me. Why? Because I care for you. I love you. I want to be that source for you. And I know you can't bear that alone. And so, so Peter is preparing them. He's like, there's, there's things coming that, that you cannot in your flesh handle mentally, emotionally, physically. And so you need to know that in those moments God invites you to just dump it, to unload it onto him. Uh, guys, this is so important for us because we are in a day and age when we talk about anxiety, I mean it's pandemic proportions. And 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 one of the things that that is so critical and and I ask people this who don't follow God or want anything to do with God, I say I don't know how you can do it because I don't know what I would do if I didn't have God. And and I'll ask, I'll be like, so where do you take that? Where do you take that? And they're like, "Uh." ah. Some of you in this room who have wanted nothing to do with God, what do you do with that? Where do you go with it? Has it been working? He invites us to bring it to him. And why is it so important to get this dialed in? Why is he challenging them? Well, he says in verses eight through 11, he says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. Okay, ooh, these verses are so good. Highlight, underline, double tap, okay? Listen, the reason that that we're called to do this, the reason I'm called to place myself under God's power and and, and to live in that way and to humbly submit myself, my desires, my expectations to his authority and, and and to literally continually daily cast my anxieties, my fears, my worries to him is because I have to be prepared for opposition. Intense, relentless, spiritual opposition. Guys, it's not like, hey, just so you know, uh, there's this enemy named Satan. It's called the devil. He's kind of after you. Be aware. Be mindful. No, he says what? Watch out. Be alert. Because he is, is on the prowl seeking What? Not, not like, and, and, and Peter, Peter's not like, hey, he's this like cute cartoon character with a pitchfork. He says, no, he is like a lion seeking someone to devour. You guys, man, this is like sobering. Satan's goal is not to just get you to fall. His goal is not just to wound you. No, the, the imagery here is devour. He wants to end you. He wants to end your life. He wants to end your life. He wants to end your marriage. He wants to end all the relationships that mean the most to you. He wants to destroy your testimony. He doesn't want people to to go, oh, well, they're kind of, no, he wants to, he's gonna wait so that he can destroy your testimony. He's not trying to wound your testimony. He wants to destroy it. And, and, and so Peter, literally, he's like, listen, listen, his name, Satan, that name, it means adversary, okay? Uh, he, literally, the devil, it means accuser or slanderer. He is the ultimate deceiver. And, and Peter is not speaking to the choir. He goes, I know, like, I know how he is. I've experienced it. I've fallen. You guys remember uh, what Jesus tells his disciples before the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been building up this moment. Like, like it's coming. My, my arrival period, the time I'm gonna go to the cross and all this, and this is what he tells them. He says, listen, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's like... Listen, it's time. You need to be warned. You need to be prepared. And what does Peter do? To sleep. And as Jesus had been warning him, what was it? Oh, I'm ready. I got this. Oh, yeah, good. I'm glad you're saying that for them. Right? Very confident. And so Peter is not just like, hey, you guys should think. He's like, no, you have to be watchful. The enemy is, is, is so good. He's so scary. He is the ultimate deceiver. He will deceive you about yourself. He's going to try and manipulate you. He can disguise himself as an angel of light. And so uh, literally, he could sound like, like, like God's uh, voice in your life, and it has nothing to do with God. He can present opportunities in your path, that you've even been praying for and you need to know, you need to discern, you need to be watchful because you have to know, is that God or is that the enemy trying to destroy what God is doing? So he says, listen, you need to be sober-minded. Your mind needs to be dialed in because what? That name, deceiver, it means he's a what? He's a counterfeiter, right? And, 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 and so if, if you're gonna identify what is counterfeit, you don't go study all the counterfeits, do you? No, you study and know God's word better. Because if you study and you know God's word, then you're able to identify what's not his word. And so that's the challenge to, to be able to identify. And because uh, when you look at how Jesus dealt with Satan when he was tempted, what Jesus did was what? He brought it back to Scripture. He brought it back to God's word. And, and, and so he says, that's the example. That's the model in dealing with him. So resist him, stand firm in your faith. Don't stand firm in your flesh, stand firm in your faith. So listen, one of the reasons we're passionate about discipleship, school of Bible, is not just because like, oh, that's what cool churches do. Like, no, you need to be equipped and to understand and know what God's word says, because if you don't, you will fall for the counterfeit. You will. Now more than ever, it's so smooth. Oh, sounds so good. There's times I literally go, wow, that, wow, well done. Just a little shift, a little change. See, you guys, when Satan was tempting Jesus, it wasn't like he presented some different plan. What did he do? No, he presented the same plan. He just said, I can speed this up for you. And Jesus says, no. Guys, you have to be reminded that there is a spiritual battle happening for you. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10, verses three through five, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Huge, that is huge. And then Peter tells him some very encouraging words when he says, listen, you are not alone in your suffering. There are Jesus followers all around the world that are suffering right now for the faith. And you guys, uh, this is one of the things that, that happens when I have a posture of humility is I actually look for other people that are going through struggles and I want to encourage them, be there for them, and you know what else you see in those moments you see how even god because he's god can take a pain that you're in that you're a trial that you're going through and he can actually use that for you to draw alongside someone else and encourage someone else who's going through the same thing Again, i mean one of the reasons we're called to be in community is because of that is is for us to help uh, pick each other up, to walk through these these trials uh, together and, 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 and to remind each other, oh man, I, I'm going through this. Man, you're going through this too. We got to huddle together. We got to walk through this together. We got to encourage each other. We got to um, be available to each other. All these things are so critical when we're going through a season. And then he encourages them with this. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, he says, after you've suffered for a little while, and so here's, here's the reality, guys, just as, as I touched on earlier. I don't know what his time frame is, okay? I don't, I don't know if his time frame is, is eternity. I don't know if, if this is a suffering or a trial or temptation that, that, that is going to be there until he comes back and takes us. Um, I, I, I don't, but either way, whether it goes away in a week, a month, a year, 10 years, or when he comes back, there is an end. This is a, a season, Okay, he promises that, and then he pauses in this moment, and I love what he says here in verse 10. He says, after and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Guys, do you see what he does there? He says, listen, let's just for a moment go back to the gospel, okay? You need to be reminded of the gospel, of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Jesus went to the cross for you, for your sins, for your mistakes, for all of those things that separated you from a perfect and holy God. He loved you that much. So he went to the cross, he has victory, and remember, he invited you in. He took you in. He said, I want you to be a part of my family. He pursued you, and it's like he pauses right there and just says, we need to bring this back to the gospel. Continue to go back to that. Guys, for us in our lives, we need to continue to go back to the gospel. Like in your life, you're tempted to just go ahead, just move forward and keep striving, and you may share the gospel, but do you remind yourself of the gospel that was delivered to you? Is that, is that a normal rhythm thing? That would be so powerful. And so we need uh, to do uh, that. And, and, and he says, literally, his promise is what? The suffering is for a season. The glory is eternal. And then he tells us what he's doing through this suffering. What he's going to do is he promises what? I'm going to restore you. The new American standard says perfect you. So he's going to restore, he's going to perfect us through this. He also tells us he's confirming, he's going to confirm through this season, through this trial. In other words, he's going to reestablish that presence, that place that that, that you were at. I think sometimes uh, when we go through a season of trial or testing, uh, we go, man, it, it, are, are things ever going to be Uh, like they were. And we, and we like literally look back on the past. He says, listen, I will reestablish you. He says he's strengthening us. And in other words, he's giving us a power to stand and, and to work through and to persevere that we wouldn't have had before. And then he says, I'm establishing you. In other words, he's laying a foundation for strength so that we can withstand whatever is left for us to withstand. It's like the analogy of of the house built on the rock we read about in Matthew that was able to withstand the storm. And he says, that's the foundation that I'm gonna build into you even through this suffering. And then I love it. I love that last part in 11. He says, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. You guys, it's it's almost like he just has this moment in the writing and he stops and he just starts praising God. So he just starts praising God. And I sat there as I was studying, and I went, what's he doing? What's going on? And, and, and part of me went, why are you doing that here? Because the main trial, I mean, there's this leader, this emperor named Nero, who's just building up steam. Like, it's really coming. They're dealing with some persecution, but it's really coming. Peter himself... Is going to be killed for his faith through this leader. And and so it, it, it's it's happening, it's coming. And and so I go, why is he like praising God now? The storm isn't here yet. And then all of a sudden God's like, Hey, hey Steve, are you looking at that line there that you were just gonna preach around? Look at it again. You guys, it's really easy to praise him and quite Often our praise is driven by coming out of a storm, isn't it? But how often is our praise before the storm? How often is our praise when the storm is in front of us and we see it forming and we see its coming? How often do we praise him then? And and, and Peter sees this. It's happening, it's coming, and, and he's challenging us. Listen. It's coming. Can you praise him? And, and guys, man, this happened this week. There was something I've been praying about, and 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 I did not get what I wanted out of it, right? How this affects me. And and, and, and I was praying for it, and I was just like, come on, God. And I was reminded of this verse. As I'm thinking about how this is gonna challenge me, how this is gonna cause all these things in my life, and he's like. Steve, you need to start praising me before the storm. You need to start worshiping me from the victory I've already accomplished because I've already defeated that storm. And went, okay. Imagine us getting to the point where we see the storm and we can already say, God, I praise you for how you've already defeated that. And then he finishes in verses 12 through 14. He says, by Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Okay, so he concludes his final greetings by by mentioning uh, Sylvanus, another name for Silas, uh, who we read about throughout the New Testament. He traveled with Paul and sometimes appears in his letters. And and Silas is either the one who recorded this or delivered uh, this letter, or maybe it was both. We're not sure. But Peter calls him a faithful brother. And then he reminds his listeners, listen, these words that I've written you, this is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. Let it take root in your hearts, in your minds. And then he says, listen, she who is in Babylon, and if you were there for the beginning of this series, we talked about how they would use that term in reference to the church in Rome for their protection. And he says, listen, the church in Rome uh, sends their greetings, as does Mark, who's John Mark, um, who Peter calls my son, because John Mark was a spiritual son for him. And then he encourages them to have this affection towards each other and then he closes this letter with peace to all of you who are in Christ. And we look at this and we say, man, Peter gave us this this letter to just encourage us to hope in in, in Christ, no matter how difficult times may be. And you guys, when you look at um, following Jesus, when you look at those who have gone before us, when you look at the churches and the persecution throughout uh, the century, you know, the common theme is we're still here, aren't we? It hasn't worked. It hasn't taken out what God wants to do. And so we are entering into a season of our own trials, and we don't know what it all looks like. We don't know all the storms that we're going to face, not only as a church, but you individually, but we, by the authority of Scripture, can still be hopeful in a perfect and holy God. And we can remember, just as he continued to remind them, glory is coming. Glory is coming. And we can be reminded with the same words that Jesus spoke to Peter when he said this in Matthew sixteen eighteen, And he said, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Guys, that's victory. That is victory. That's the storms already been defeated. So in this moment now, we're going to go into just worship, and let's worship from that place. Let me pray.